0: Thanks. Is my mic on yet? Can you hear me? All right. Good deal. How many of you guys have Facebook random question? Okay, so most people in here. How many of you guys have read a status that started that awkward moment when? Oh, crud, like not very many of you. (laughs) I had a that awkward moment when moment this morning when I realized that awkward moment when you have to get up and preach after Yulin is gone. It's like, uh. (laughs) oh, This is not going to be good, but I uh, I really appreciated that Euland. That was a that was a great word, and I really enjoyed that. So, if you guys don't mind today, I'm going to do things probably a little differently than most sermons go, and just kind of talk with you guys through uh, through m- my life in the last couple years and and what's been going on. I know that most of you guys have heard from probably my dad and my mom's perspective what it was like to move from Illinois to Tennessee and their calling from Illinois to Tennessee. Um, But maybe a perspective that you haven't heard much on is us, the kids, you know, moving to Tennessee with them. So I kind of wanted to share with you guys um, what that's been like from our perspective. In the summer of 2012, for any of you guys that don't know and might be new to our congregation, my dad took the pastoring position here at, at that time it was called Bethesda, it's now called Live Church. And that was a really interesting move for our family because we had been in Illinois our entire lives. So we grew up there. We knew everybody. My grandparents lived like two doors down from us and we kind of had this family atmosphere environment going on. So when my dad announced the move, obviously it was a, it was a little bit of a shocker for all of us because we just assumed it was Illinois for the rest of our lives. And, uh, and that kind of started an interesting uh, introspective look for me at my life with Christ and, and how I really felt about, about him. So in, during that summertime, one of my friends called me, and I was out at Whitestone. Many of you guys know Paul and Jean. Paul spoke here last week. I was out staying at there at their house, and I got a friend from one of my, uh, a phone call from one of my friends back in Illinois. And I didn't get time to answer it, and I heard a voicemail that just said, Hey, Natalie, I'm going through a really tough time. Could you call me back? And uh, I really need some prayer. And I, I kind of hate to admit this while I'm on a stage today, but if I'm being honest, I wasn't at a point in my life where I really felt like I was able to pray for someone else. In fact, I was at a point in my life where I had pretty much stopped praying for the <laughs> for the previous couple weeks. You know, I I was very very upset with with God in this time because I was confused about what I was supposed to do with my life, and I, I knew what my life was going to look like. I knew I was going to graduate college, move back to Illinois, get a job, buy my parents' house off them, move them into the property next to us because I loved our family home, and it was mine. <laughs> so that was, I mean, that was the game plan all along. So when suddenly my world got shifted and we were in Tennessee and I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't know my plan and I'm getting close to the end of college and I'm freaking out you know about what I'm gonna do I had just pretty much stopped praying and at that point it was it wasn't so much that I didn't believe in God or didn't believe in the power of prayer rather the opposite I believed in God and I believed in the power of prayer and I didn't understand that why had I prayed that my family would stay in Illinois and we ended up moving to Tennessee what what happened. I knew God was there, and I knew he was working, and I knew that he answered prayers, but I couldn't understand why he hadn't answered mine. So maybe in some juvenile way, I had the same thought process that goes on when when union labor goes on strike and thought, well, if they're not listening to me when I'm talking, maybe they'll listen when I'm not. And I was kind of on this, I guess what you would call a God strike. I wasn't talking to him. He wasn't listening when I was, so maybe he'd pay attention if I just shut up for a while. So I'm in one of these stages, and my friend calls me and wants me to pray for her. And I'm thinking in my head, oh, great. <laughs> like, you know, even if I'm not going to talk to God, I'm not going to let people know that I'm not talking to God. <laughs> that would be bad. You know, my dad's the pastor. That'd be a little embarrassing. <laughs> so I'm, you know, kind of having this internal conversation, and I come to the decision that, you know, I know I believe in God. I know I'll get through my little temper tantrum here eventually and i'm going to go ahead and call stephanie back so i call her back the next day and to my surprise she said natalie you know I, just since i've called you god's just done an amazing work in my life i've i've really been realizing that in american society that as we grow older the less dependent we come on our parents but in the uh, you know in the christian perspective the older we grow the more mature we get the more dependent we need to become on god And she starts giving me this message of dependency, and I'm like, oh, no, I've been tricked. (laughs) You know, like, I was thinking I was going to fake a little prayer here and, like, go on with my God strike, and suddenly I'm getting a full-blown sermon that I can't ignore because it's with my friend from Illinois on the phone. And as I, as she's speaking these words to me, I, I begin to realize my own dependency on Christ, and I begin to realize, you know, like, how stupid maybe I was being, and, uh, and I decided that when I got off the phone that I was going to go ahead and take a stab at this thing again. I was going to I was going to try and talk to God and, and and you know just just see what came of it. Come to God as as my father. And of course I I'm too stubborn to let Stephanie know that maybe we were on a God-ordained phone call at that moment because she had no idea. I was like, "Oh, yeah, good for you. Learned that lesson a long time ago, you know, <laughs> having that kind of thought process in my head." But when I when I got off the phone, I decided I'm going to open my Bible, and I use my Bible on my phone a lot, and it's got like an audio app on it, so I just figured, you know, I, I was so kind of tired, of tired of this whole battle that I was having internally, I was like, I'm, I don't even want to read it, but you know, I can at least muster the will to hit play and listen to it, and, and you know, maybe something will come. And I opened the audio Bible and just look down at what I'm about to play. <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding me? The miracle of Bethesda was the tagline. And I have no idea why that pulled up on my phone at that minute. But, I mean, for those of you that are new, again, our church's name was Bethesda here. And I'm mad at God because I'm not understanding what's going on in my life. And I opened this tagline, miracle of Bethesda. And I almost put my phone down at that moment like, that's not funny, <laughs> no more of this, you know, we're not having this conversation again, you know, I, I thought we could avoid that subject for a little while until we're back on good terms, so I open my Bible, and I decide, you know, it's really not going to get worse, you know, it really isn't, so I'm just going to hit play and listen to it and relieve my guilty conscience a little bit, you know, get a little God and then go back on this strike possibly. And uh, I read this passage in John 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, which is surrounded by five colored colonnades. Here's a great number of disabl- Here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The, blamed, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. I paused after I had read that passage, you know, just kind of thinking through still kind of upset at God but wondering what this passage was all about. And I had this thought come to my mind. Just and it was no audible voice of God, but I felt inside of me, have you ever felt like an invalid? I mean, have you ever felt blind? Have you ever felt lame? And I mean, of course, on a, on a real literal, logical sense, I've never felt blind. I've always been able to see. You know, I've, I've never felt lame. I've always been able to walk. But on some, you know, metaphorical sense of it, yes. I have felt like an invalid. In fact, at that very moment, I felt pretty blind because a future that had always been extremely clear to me was I was unable to see. I didn't understand what was going on, and I didn't know why. And beyond feeling blind, I actually felt lame, too, because I was in such a stuck position in my life that I didn't know where to go from there, and I didn't feel able to move out of it. And some of you guys have probably experienced depression before. It was probably some sort of depression, because I know from what I've read about depression is that's one of the symptoms. You feel stuck. And I... I honestly, in that moment, felt stuck, blind, lame. I was an invalid. But as I, as I thought about this in relation to each one of you today, I thought, surely, you know, that Bible story wasn't written for somebody, you know, back in the Bible and then also for me. Surely it has some relation to all of us. Surely there's been times in each of your life where you have felt like an invalid, and maybe it's not the same as me. Maybe you felt blind because a relationship you were once in is no longer working and you can't see through the tough stuff. Maybe your job is not secure as it once was, and maybe you're not as good at it as you once were. You know, there's all kinds of different situations, relationships, life circumstances. Um, maybe you've experienced death in your family or death of a loved one, or, you know, insecurities in your relationship with God, there's times where most of us, I would say, have felt blind. In fact, I would venture to say there's times where all of us have felt blind or lame. And like the man at the pool of Bethesda, and like me, we're lying at the pool waiting, waiting for something to happen. Because the man at the pool of Bethesda, And me and you were all invalids. As I as I kind of kept going and reading, you know, this passage, I kind of thought, well, I figured out why I read it. You know, I got the meat of the I got the meat of the message. But I kept going, and this passage continues with, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. He asked, do you want to be healed? Now, you've probably seen just from things I've said earlier, I'm a little bit sarcastic. (laughs) So when I read this, do you want to be healed? At risk of being called a heretic while on stage today, my honest reaction was, that was a stupid question, Jesus. You know, like, (laughs) this guy is laying at a pool that's rumored to heal people. He's lame, you know. He's been lame for thirty-eight years. Like, you don't think he wants to be healed? Of course, he wants to be healed. Why are you asking that stupid question? But as as I'm literally, and, and I'm one of those people that I'm not exactly quiet all the time. <laughs> you know, I'm quiet sometimes when I'm meeting new people, but my family can tell you—at least around them—I'm loud. <laughs> so when I when I heard, when I read this, even though I was by myself, I literally said out loud, that was a stupid question, you know, like, just saying that, and as soon as I said it, I thought in my mind, well, why is that a stupid question? Y- you know, I mean, obviously, there's an answer, but, but why might Jesus have asked that question? Is it possible that there might be some unknown reason that I don't know of why this invalid could have possibly not wanted to be healed? So I, as I go down that train of thought, I think, well, I mean, he's been an invalid for 38 years. What can he really do? I mean, his income is probably tied to the fact that he's an invalid. I, I, I mean, by this time, by 38 years of being sick, you have to have gotten a pretty good victim mentality going. I mean, I had one, and I was mad for like a month, you know. <laughs> so, I'm, you know, as I'm thinking about this, I'm going, okay, so, so maybe that wasn't such a stupid question. Does he really, really want to be healed? Because if he's healed, he has to go on living like a well person. He can't complain anymore. Any bitterness that he's had in his life, any situations, they have to go. And so, as I'm thinking about it, and I'm like, Well, of course you want to be healed, you know. And then I'm like, Well, maybe not. I'm, you know, I'm kind of analyzing my own life, going, Do I want to be healed? <laughs> like really? Because if I'm healed. I'm not really supposed to be mad at my parents anymore, (laughs) and I'm pretty ticked at them right now. (laughs) You know, I'm I'm having this internal conversation, and beyond that, I, I really can't be mad at God anymore if He's the one who healed me. That doesn't make good logical sense. And so I'm having this you know internal dialogue of, do I want to be healed? But again, you know, I I mean, the law of transitivity in geometry, what you learn is if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. If I'm the invalid, you know, and we were relating in this way, and I've already established that you are probably an invalid, then this probably relates to you in some way. A probably equals C. And my guess is that this question also relates to some of you. Because... It's, it's possible. You know, I watch Facebook all the time and, and see all of you guys posting, and some of you guys are in some really awesome seasons of life, and you're doing some really great things for the gospel and really great things at work and, you know, having a great time in relationships, having a fun time traveling. But my guess is some of you probably are in a time where you feel like an invalid or you, you feel stuck and you can't move. And I feel like this question relates to us all at different times in our life when we have to ask ourselves the question— do you want to be healed because if you want to be healed i don't know what your situation is but there's baggage that goes along with that that has to be dropped there's victim mentalities that have to go there's bitterness at husbands or wives or kids or or government or jobs or bosses or or yourself that have to go so my question is do you want to be healed As we go along with this passage, it says, Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Now the rumor about the Pool of Bethesda is that like, You know, several times a year, an angel comes down, touches the water, the first one in. It's like a big race, you know. First one in gets healed. So they all sit around this pool and hope that someone's there to push them in the water at the right time so that they're the one to get healed. This man's been, you know, an invalid for 38 years. His hope is probably at this point a little bit minimal, and yet he's still sitting at this pool. And when he's talking to Jesus, he says... I have no one to push me in while the water is stirred. And because we're reading this and, you know, way past this point, obviously we know that this was a little hilarious. He's talking to Jesus, you know, the maker of the universe, telling him, <laughs> I have no one to help me out. You know, like, you've got the guy who made it all standing right next to you. But, but in this moment, I find it really interesting the way that Jesus responded. Because he didn't say, he, here's what I like, Noah, would you come up here for a second? What I really enjoy is seeing instantaneous healings. I mean, I, I'm i not a big fan of Benny Hinn or these, like, televangelists. I kind of find them corny, but I do get intrigued with the fact of, like, when you see someone in a wheelchair, jump out of it, you know? And, like, some dramatic, you know, like, televangelist pulling them up there, and it, it just it's insane. I'm not sure if it's real, but it's awesome. You know, it's, it's so cool. It's like, we should make movies about this stuff. Like, it is legit. But what I like, I, like I said, I like to do that. So, no, when I'm on the couch and I say, oh, I don't want to get up, what do you have to do to get me up? You know, if I'm, if I'm laying here, what kind of thing do we do? I want someone to pull me up. You know, if, if Noah's going to make me come up and help him with some chore or pick up something, he, I'm not getting off that couch. You know, I've been laying on it for a while. Noah's going to have to pull me up. And what I've experienced in life is that so many times in our walk with Christ, I wait for that moment. I wait for that, you know, Jesus dramatically not giving me a choice about it and just grabbing me and picking me up. When in all reality most of the time it's Jesus helping you help yourself kind of thing you know it's, it's, it's him looking and saying alright I'm here but now you're going to have to get up you know I, I've asked you if you want to be healed and you said yes but you're still laying there in all the nastiness you're laying there with all your baggage you're laying there with your victim mentality you're still complaining about your parents or your friends or your job or whatever is going on and I'm here, so get up, and and it was this crazy moment to me where, I was like, wait a minute, you mean, you mean this doesn't have to be like a, a Jesus just picking me up and having this crazy moment, you mean I can literally just stand up right now, you mean I can, I I can get out of this mess, and I didn't want it, I didn't want it to be a partnership, I wanted Healed because we don't have anyone to push us in, and I really believe that Jesus is standing here today saying, here, "Get off your mat." You know, I I picture it kind of like I'm in mean, a boxing arena or something, and some some guy. How ridiculous does it sound when those coaches get out there and you've got some man on the ground and they're like, "Get up!" You know, it just seems ridiculous. It's like the guy just got punched sure if he's awake yet, and you're yelling at him to get up, but the reality is, half the time, what you see in those boxing matches is some boxer comes up fighting. You know, if they decide to get off that mat, if their coach didn't just, you know, yank him up, because they're about to fall back down again when that happens, if that coach gets in their face and says, get up off your mat, and they actually do it, and they get up off the mat, a lot of times you see a good fight. You know, that's, that's kind of what I imagine Jesus is doing doing here in this moment, asking us to get off the mat, and I, I wish I could tell you that I'm some, you know, Mother Teresa of Christianity or something, and that I've got it all together, and that, you know, from that day forward, I've walked in grace and peace and, and perfect all the time, but it just doesn't happen, you know, I mean, the reality is, like I said, I, I talk to myself, it's this bad habit that I have sometimes in public, and it's embarrassing, but I, I literally have to talk to myself sometimes, you know, I, I have to get in the mirror and tell myself, like, it's going to be okay, and, and the, the crazy part about this is, it's at the pool of Bethesda, you know, it's this full circle realization that Tennessee is a good place, <laughs> it's all going to be okay, you know, it, and I really believe that this church is and is going to become more, you know, back to what the original name was, the really is a place of